Wait. You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. Each and every week, we like to, well, we've, we've missed a few weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> but each and every week that we record, we like to welcome everyone back. We like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, be sure to join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome listeners from different countries and all over the United States. And everyone that's joined the Facebook group since we recorded last time. And in general, everyone that's joined the Facebook group, we appreciate you and uh, keep contributing. Um, also, check out the website, you don't sound autistic.com, for episode show notes. And oh, you links. did it! Uh, well, don't screw me up. Sorry. And links to reference materials and episode posts. Check out the Brain Hugs or the shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. And for our new listeners... You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuro perspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. All right. Let's kick this thing off again. Yeah. All right. So uh, this week we had, uh, well, not this week, but Previously, we had uh, someone join the Facebook group, and now I can't remember who it was, but um, they'll know who they are. Ma- uh, we're talking about managing relationships, marriage when you're autistic, or married to or dating someone who's autistic. Okay. Does that make sense to you now? It's a great question. Okay. Yeah. And also, before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about the fact that we have been uh, out of it for several weeks um, because... My medication changes have been kicking my butt, and so staying up at night has just been a struggle, and I'm just like, I'm ready to go to bed, and so I haven't been able to record, um, and then the few, t- you know, the handful of times I have been able to, you know, Declan's still awake late or whatever, so there's been one thing or another, and then, you know, we have the holidays, and it's been, it's been a lot, so we're back. Dang it, we're back. It's been an intense couple of weeks. I mean, one of the things... Oh, and I got a new job. Congratulations! What are you... You're making it sound like you just heard about that. Well, in terms of the podcast timeline, I did. Okay. Yay! I mean, that's a huge... Let's stop right there. So let's... So you just mentioned three things, right? You've mentioned holidays, you've mentioned changing jobs, and changing medications. Like, whoa. Those are big, Whoa. big deals. And let's not minimize them just because you're on the other side of them at this point, right? You've had an intense couple of weeks. I have. And that process will be true for most everyone, especially for our listeners. But 
taking this is where we need to take that moment and just go back to episode 42 where we talk about gratitude as healing so how do you remember what episode well i only remember the ones i put on the website good job honey go ahead go watch tv thank you (laughs) he wants me to eat his pie crust okay um that stuff and so let's just let's take a moment and let's go back real fast and where were you before some of these big changes before you changed jobs and before you changed medication what was life like for you in those moments i i mean i just felt kind of like in purgatory that's a great description (laughs) okay i didn't see that coming you felt like you were in purgatory okay mentally physically emotionally yeah yeah because i feel like i'm i'm not going anywhere and I don't know one way or the other which way I'm going. Okay. So it just felt like I was in a holding pattern. And though I I know everyone handles holding patterns differently. That drives me insane. Yeah. I really, I really don't like it. So for you, have you been in this, and you've been in this holding pattern for a while? Since I pretty much started my my job that I just finished yesterday or two days ago. So this is an 18-month journey? Something like that. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time to be thinking and feeling purgatory. Thinking and feeling, feeling and thinking. Yep, it is. How did you get yourself out of it? I still don't know if I'm out of it. But I'm trying to be open-minded about the new job. How did you find a new job? I looked for one. No, 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 no. Like your process. Like how did you build a momentum living in purgatory how did you build the mental i've been looking for a new job since i mean not since i started the other job but off and on yeah it's been like over a year it feels like right so then how did you build the momentum that eventually got you out of this job and into the new one like what was your what did you do i don't know it it just on a daily basis i was looking for jobs online okay so you'd look every day not every day because sometimes it just gets exhausting because sure. it's like having a job in and of itself. It is. So I, when I when I had the capacity to look for work, I would look for jobs and apply to a bunch of different positions. And then I went out and I did a bunch of interviews. And a lot of times, like the people were like, "We'll call, we'll call you back," and they never would call me back. Or, you know, there were a lot of like quote unquote promising positions, but then it, they w- didn't go anywhere. And then. I actually didn't even remember applying for this particular position. So when I got the call for it, I was like, yeah, like I was just like, yeah, of course I remember. Yeah. So it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And in my experience, separate and apart from this, the jobs that come out of nowhere are usually somewhat fortuitous. Yeah. It was that or porn star. (laughs) So on average, how many times per week did you muster the strength to job search oh i have no idea like three or four times a week well it wasn't like when you say times i don't know like i would do it like during lunches and stuff so i don't remember well but when i talk about building momentum what i mean literally is that if there's something you're in purgatory you feel stuck your feet feel melted to the pavement right like you're not getting out of there And you're miserable and all you can think about is how you're miserable. So if that's all you think about, then that's all your body will feel because we know the 
neurochemistry between thoughts and feelings and feelings and thoughts. And so your whole body is reinforcing this feeling of I'm going to live in purgatory. And in order to get yourself out of a place like that, and even though this applies to a job search for you, this particular description of purgatory, I think could probably apply to a vast majority of our of our community because this is not unfamiliar when you're trying to make a life change and yet you're stuck in the one you're in. So, excuse me, building momentum requires you to think something new often enough. I don't feel it. That's the thing. Like, I don't think I had momentum. I think I just... No, you had to have had I was sitting there just like, this isn't working, this isn't working. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, like, it worked. That's... Really? Even through the... Even through all the interviews, because like what I watched, what well, I because the more interviews I had that didn't go anywhere, the more I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. But you still kept fishing, like yeah. you still kept casting your line. I, so I know you're, I know you're not seeing the evidence of it, right? You're not seeing the proof because we tend to believe that things are only working if you can touch it, taste it, see it, smell it, hear it, but. When we're building momentum, we're actually doing it from a different place. So it's probably more from the place of this isn't working. I need to find something that is, that built your momentum more than, more what, than anything else. What momentum else. are you talking about that I don't know about? So momentum is the concept. I know what momentum is. But ener- I'm saying, but how, I don't feel like I had momentum. So anytime, uh, yeah. So there were multiple weeks where you would have three interviews where you would drive to yeah, and they went nowhere, so that's not momentum. That ah, again, you're looking for the momentum in the proof, not in the effort. The momentum is in the effort, not in the outcome. The fact that you kept driving, the fact that you kept applying, the fact that you kept saying, this isn't working, I need to find something that is, that's the momentum. Regardless of whether it, it outcomed or paid off the way you wanted it to, that's a different part of the equation. The part of the equation... Outcomed? <laughs> <laughs> my coffee's sitting on my throat. Okay. The part of the equation that you can control is the part of you that's determined to get out. The part of you that's going to continue to look and continue to apply and continue to put your best foot forward and buy clothes for interviews and try things new. Like at one point you stopped just applying on your own and you went to a staffing agency. So that was a part of you. No, I didn't go to a staffing agency. They found me. Again, that's evidence of the momentum. And then they gave up on me when they sent me to the wrong job. Well, I think they were, I think they had problems. Yeah. But the momentum isn't in the outcome. The momentum is in the effort. 100% of what matters is in the effort. You think it's the outcome because that's what we've been trained to think. We've been trained to think it's the outcome that matters. So push, push, push till you get to the right outcome. It's a bunch of lies. It's not true. If you're focused on the outcome, you'll actually never reach it because you're never changing what's producing the outcome well that's not true because i reached the outcome Ah, so in your face because the momentum you built on the inside was i'm going to continue going so every day even though the outcome had not produced you it didn't stop you from accepting the next interview the point i'm making is at any point in time here when it didn't work you had the option to throw your arms up and say f this i'm done trying It's not getting anywhere and you sink further into purgatory and you'd never get out. You had that choice. That's how I felt like I was doing. 
But at the same time, when you had the option to, okay, you, you had the self-discipline to sit down and go, oh, let me try one, one more time. Let me look one more time. Oh, here's an interview request. Let me accept it. You said yes to those moments. Yes, I did. And finally, someone came back who you didn't even remember applying for and said, hey, we want you. I applied my my old dating uh, tactics to finding a job. Oh, I remember these. Please explain them. Well, back in the day when I was dating, I would... um, like when the websites would allow you to do this, like OkCupid and stuff, you know, you would, I would, I would create like a generic email that seemed specific to the person. So I would just go through and and I would look, and it's gonna make me sound horrible, but I would go based on like uh, distance from me, okay. and and if the person was attractive or not, and I would, th- those were the only two things: were they close? Or are they cute? Those close are- and cute. Those are good parameters. And so then I would I would message all the close and cute girls, everybody, without reading anything. Like they could have been a Satanist, they could have been a Republican <laughs> or a Democrat or like you didn't care. I didn't care because I and then a I Libra. would You're I like, would look at one. I would just kind of look at like the same thing and I'd be like, oh, I see you do you like this, so that it didn't look super generic. So there was something targeted in there. Mm-hmm. And then after. I would message all these people. I would wait. And then, you know, it's a numbers game, right? So I would just start getting responses. And then I would start to read, like, who this person is. And then from there, I would decide if they were someone I wanted to talk to or not. Mm -hmm. And for the people I wanted to talk to, I would respond. And other people, I wouldn't. And so, like, you know, it just made it so much easier to figure out like so, when you're sitting there looking for jobs, and you sit there and read through all the job descriptions and stuff, mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it's tedious work. So instead, I would just look at the location and how much it paid. Okay. And then I would send out resumes. I think that's brilliant, though, because all that pre-research, you can end up talking yourself out of jobs very easily. Me like, oh, I don't really have that, or. That doesn't sound good to me, you know, because everything's worded so subjectively. So I think you're obviously it worked because you didn't you probably would not have consciously picked this position for yourself, um, except that it picked you. So that's one of those things where because you were looking at only two parameters, you basically opened yourself up to a wider range of options that could work for you that you didn't talk yourself out of so then when they came back and they said hey we like you we think you're a great fit for us um and you were like okay you know let me go interview with them and it wasn't like a horrible fit you know like you're like okay yeah this could work then um that's the momentum i'm talking about because it's in the effort right you built momentum every time you spammed all those jobs or all those you know women well and then it it does have like some adverse effects because i would be getting um because i was doing it through indeed and so a lot of times jobs don't respond at all and other times like you you get a lot of responses where it's like hey thanks for applying but no thank you and you get a lot more of those and you apply to 100 jobs sure most of the responses you're going to get are going to be like we're not interested in you 
Right. And so again, we're, and that goes back to whether or not you put your power in the effort or the outcome. And so if you're banking on every one of those to come back with some sort of polite response, then you're fine because you're going to get that, right? Because you're just spamming it all. You're not really going through the process of weeding it out that you're expecting them to do it. So then there, then it minimizes the impact of their, their response because you know, you didn't go through and qualify whether or not you even really fit the parameters. Well, I mean, I did to a degree, but like it was, I'm just like, I'm not going to read, um, three pages of stuff. Yeah. I don't blame you. Unless they're interested. But so that requires some emotional grit that when you're getting all those letters, instead of thinking about it, like I'm not good enough and it's a rejection because there's the, that's not true. Then what you're, you know, that takes the emotional grit to sit there and say, well, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And a little bit of faith that where you are supposed to be is going to show up. And so everything else, if, if you put out 200 feelers and you're only supposed to be in two places, you're, you're going to expect, you know, 298 either people to ghost you or come back you with mean a, 198. Thank you. Yep. Um, the cat's distracting me. And, um, you know, so you just have to look at it emotionally differently. You, you, you can't sit there and attach yourself to the outcomes. And instead, you have to prepare yourself with this belief that where you're meant to be, when you get out of this purgatory, you are going to find it. This is not working and I'm going to find where I'm supposed to be. And if you can just sit there and hold on to those two feelings, this is not working. I'm going to find where I'm meant to be next. That alone can get you through all these moments that could otherwise be very devastating through the feelings of rejection or, you know, pull you out of that momentum. You just have to keep that belief that you're going to find where you're supposed to be. And that was the bulk of most of our conversations was we had some promising leads sometimes and things we could get excited about. But at the end of the day, it's like if it's not where you're meant to be next, it's not going to work out. And it's not a rejection. It's just it's just how the process works. Anyways, I'm proud of you. Thank you. That's what it boils down to. Um, but it actually is not too dissimilar to the process of managing relationships. No. You don't agree? <laughs> um, no, I didn't say no like a disagreement. I was just like, that was a question. No. Oh, no. Um, well, at least the, I mean, at least the way I look at relationships, because we initially get together with a person because we like how we feel when we're with them. And we like that feeling of being with them more than the feeling of being alone, right? Otherwise, we would just stay alone. Yeah. So, um, and, th- and that's true for whether it's a friendship or um, even an employment relationship. But we're talking specifically about like dating relationships here, right? Yeah. Romantic relationships. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we need that same sort of emotional grit because if the goal is to share a life with someone, then you got to maintain that kind of higher priority of how, of, of what's important, you know, like keeping your eye on the momentum of the relationship versus nitpicking how the functions of day-to-day life are done, which is often where relationships suffer is that the, approach that each of you take to daily life can be different and then that 
that difference in the approach can feel like a disconnect and then that disconnect ends up eroding the quality of the relationship which absolutely had nothing to do with why you got together in the first place i didn't catch any of that because a stupid cat was rubbing its face in my crotch (laughs) well what's the most important part of relationships to you i don't know that's a good question i guess how i make how I feel and how the other person feels. Cause I don't, you know, you don't want to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't care about you as well. True. But sometimes it, caring, I think sometimes caring about someone is part of it can be their feelings towards you. Cause it's like harder to fall for someone that isn't into you. True. But let's assume that you're at least established in the relationship that in, the, in so much as you've said, I like you and I like you and let's, Let's try and spend time together and make things work. However you define that or quantify time and space. Let's just say that we're, that the relationships we're talking about have at least met those qualifications. Okay. You're both interested and you both want to be there. And now that you're both interested and you both want to be there, now you start going through daily life together. <coughs> and here's... Yes. Here's where the differences start to pop up, right? Right. Now, how many correct ways are there to do things, in your opinion? (laughs) The look on your face says it all. I wish this was a video. How many correct ways are there to do things, in your opinion? A few. A few like two? Maybe. (laughs) Or if you like 22. What do you, what do you mean 22? I'm just making an arbitrary number that's larger than two because I think one of the biggest places relationships suffers when we talk about managing relationships is that we get caught up on the wrong thing. We get caught up on the fact that, especially in autism, but in a lot of neurodivergent um, challenges, there's, there's a rigidity right? There's an inflexibility to the way that things are done. And it's neurological because rigidity and um, consistency is a way for the brain to feel safe. So it's not naturally um, flexible. So that comes out in your execution of simple daily life things. Mine or people in general? Both. Neurodivergent. I'm not rigid. <laughs> I'm loose, baby. No. I'm fluid. <laughs> I go with the flow. No. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's just pretend Declan's standing on the couch. I'm more like a river. <laughs> I go where I'm meant to go along the path because that is the only way to go. There it is. <laughs> oh, most of the time, what we end up spending our our relationship energy working through that that is invisible is capacity issues and flexibility issues. And I use the word issues to say that it's a neurological constraint that's that we actually have to work against. It's not naturally moldable. I mean, it is moldable. It's neuroplastic, which means that it can change, but it takes some effort and it takes some feeling uncomfortable. And both of those things inside of a relationship can lead you to feel vulnerable and vulnerability doesn't feel safe. So we tend to revert back to what does feel safe, which can be 
The TV is really loud. Yes, I know. Okay, it's very distracting for me. I know. Let me s- pause and let me see if I can move in rooms. All right. So you're kind of like, are you like a salmon trying to swim upstream? Or are you more like you're going down the river? I go with the flow, Rochelle. <laughs> okay. How Nothing many phases me. Okay. Hey, if someone does something different than me, no no problem. No problem. <laughs> Is that the Zoloft talking? <laughs> well, that's sarcasm. Oh. Well, okay. Was it always that easy for you? It is not easy for me. I was joking. I know. What's the most difficult things that change around you? Well, when people do things that I don't understand, I'm just like, why the fuck wouldn't you do it the way that I would do it? Like, for instance, like when I'm, I've been at work and people do things that are just like, you know, I'm just like, just look it up or just, you know what I mean? Like, what about, what about our relationship? Like, we, well, it just happened this morning. You went to turn on the, the, the light thing and ended up hitting the button and the sound came out and you were like, I need instructions. And I'm like, I didn't read the instructions and I figured it out. I read owner's manuals. No, but do you see what I'm, you just asked me a question. I just answered it perfectly. You did. No. And that's, and that's a core difference, right? Because you kind of experiment to learn things and I like to read the book and know how to do it. And so, yeah, I pushed the wrong button. And by the way, I've been pushing the wrong button for five days now. Well, well, then why didn't you just ask me? Because I didn't understand that there was a, a radio on Like there was functionality on top of this toy that I didn't know was present. So I just thought I was doing something wrong. I didn't know you and you weren't always around. So then I Well, just... you were doing something wrong. Just so you know, very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you told me that that was the speaker, there's a speaker on this toy and it's tuned to static right now. So you push the button and it's instant noise and it's very dysregulating. And all I was looking for was a light. I didn't realize there were two on buttons on this device. Yeah, there's a button for the sound and then there's a button for the light. Yeah, well, that makes sense to me now. So that comes down to a difference in how we learn about new things and then how... That's a difference between doing things right and doing things wrong. (laughs) That's what that is. Okay. And you say I'm inflexible. Oh, well... I love the non-judgmental way you told me I was doing it wrong. You're turning on the speaker, ding dong. <laughs> Is that what I said? Yes. <laughs> That's judgmental. <laughs> it didn't seem very compassionate <laughs> or forgiving. Like it's loud, ah! <laughs> like no shit. That's why I did it out here. Oh my gosh. Um, what about, but, so is there anything else in a relationship I do that bothers you? Like what, what do I do that consistently just makes you scratch your head? You talk about, uh, how the stars are aligned and shit like that. And I don't understand it. So the running theme in both of your examples is just a lack of, I don't want to say it's not comprehension. It's just that I'm understanding something that you're not. And that's the only thing that's in common with both of those stories. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's snowing. So is it... It's not snowing here. It's snowing on TV. Right. Sorry. Um, It's snowing, buddy. 
Um, so, what do you? Oh, you're distracted. I'm multitasking. Sorry. Okay. Um, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Right. <laughs> I don't have that kind of hyper focus. Um, but would a situation then be more productive if you asked questions about the things you don't understand instead of get like? Do you get frustrated? It's interesting that you say that because um, I'm not going to say his full name, but Brian C. Yeah. You know who that is, right? I do. Okay. When we were, before I knew I was autistic, before he knew, I think, didn't I say that he He, he was diagnosed? Yes. So, which is kind of funny because we both go about things very differently, the two of us. Yes. But um, he he made some comment to me one time because he was where he was my you know my manager basically yeah he was my boss and so he was like you know you will you, someone will do something and you're like <laughs> responses why the fuck would you do that <laughs> and he <laughs> where, was so right where he is like more prone to stop and say okay so like what you know in, in a different way saying s- sort of the same thing but like what led you to that conclusion right and 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 let's figure out ways to you know in the future not do that kind of thing you know being right. trying to be more conscious I uh, well i guess yeah being more conscious of the words that he's using because i'm and it's true i i guess i do just kind of go like why the hell would you do that Well, and I think a lot of that is going to come down to nurture versus nature, right? Because what you're really calling out is the neural pathways you've created during a stressful situation and the habitual responses you've learned versus his. And any one of you, any one of us um, can have those same habitual responses. And being able to stop and notice what your habitual responses are first and foremost the part of a relationship you can control you can't control the outcome of someone else's actions well you can you can punish them repeatedly so that they do what you want them to do but who wants to be in that relationship in fact the whole world is getting out of those relationships so right including most of us so that's not who's us our community our ydsa tribe like and, and any and many many people who um will eventually become our tribe. Right. So we're getting out of punishment-based relationships where we've been trained to act a certain way to help another person avoid their pain or to jump to action to do things for them that they don't want to do for themselves. Or, you know, there's there's all those negative patterns which are unfortunately present because we haven't necessarily been taught in relationships and in any society around the globe not saying that's true to every single culture, but there's a broad theme that other people are responsible for your happiness or that you can only be happy when X, Y, Z outcome happens or you can only be happy when the other person does this or that. And there's just a very intertwined concept of, you know, the the balance of relationships that comes from getting what you need from someone else. You see it play out on reality TV all the time. Um, at least here in the States, we see it a lot. And But the core of that 
premise is wrong because our happiness comes from us ourselves like we're the only ones who can really manage our own emotions and we can we're the only ones that can influence how we at the core think and feel and how we respond to other people so taking ownership of that back to ourselves and then realizing the patterns of how we speak to and respond to other people is really where the magic of relationships can start to blossom because now you actually have full control over the responses so like instead of yelling at me for making a mistake like what was that noise why didn't you know that was gonna bother me which is what our conversations used to rely around now you're like oh that was loud do you need help with something which is what you've evolved to asking me now and I'm like oh thank god because I'm not trying to make noise to piss you off I'm usually stuck in some situation that ends up making noise and I need help but I can't be worried about your response and trying to fix the problem at the same time we have less problems now yes you're welcome thank you no it's a big deal you whether you did it consciously or whether it was a medication change or over time instead of you reacting and blaming me for your discomfort you started to recognize your discomfort and instead asking to help me solve the problem that created your discomfort instead of blaming me for it It's a huge shift and it's not a shift everyone has made. So when you talk about managing relationships, it's important to bring it up because it's in those moments of everyday life where relationships at the core can deteriorate right from underneath you. Yeah. Was I supposed to say something else more? Well, just if you had more thoughts on it. Oh, I don't know. Like what... My medicine, my medication hasn't kicked in yet this morning. What do I do in our relationship that helps you feel safe enough to be yourself? Huh? <laughs> okay. When you think about our relationship today, yeah. What are what do you enjoy about it? Well, there's the nudity. What nudity? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not mine. <laughs> Is this imaginative? There's plenty of times where I'm I'm nude around you and you don't know it, Rochelle. <laughs> I'm naked into my clothes right now. Okay. <laughs> um what so what do I enjoy about our relationship? Yes. Um I think I like that you're you have a good sense of humor, which is a, nece- a necessity to being in a relationship with me of any kind. True. And by good sense of humor, I mean you think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> Honesty is important. <laughs> it's a key factor. Keep going. Um you're smart. Thank you. And uh I I enjoy your compassion and your understanding and your patience. Thank you. And so when you're experiencing my compassion and understanding and patience, how does that help you? Well, because then I feel like it takes a little bit of pressure off of me so that I'm allowed room for mistakes. Oh, that's very interesting. You don't allow your, do you allow yourself room for mistakes? No. 
Okay. Not usually. Can you tell me more about that? Like, no. What does that feel like? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. But you, you're cognizant enough to acknowledge that you don't allow room for mistakes. So, what is it? What do you say to yourself, or what do you end up feeling and thinking when you? When oh, I you, mean, it's just like the negative self-talk. Oh, you're like you fucking idiot. You know, that kind of stuff, like where you do something. And, and so then I literally will be in my head. I don't know if uh, I know that a lot of people talk to themselves, but I'll I'll talk to myself and I'll say like I'll say something negative to mm-hmm. myself. And then I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> good. No. Yeah. But are you starting to say? I try st- to sometimes. Yes. OK, that's good. Yeah. Because you don't want that behavior. It's like I'm- I have to be. Um, did you ever see that movie? My I think it's called My Bodyguard. Uh huh. It's it's like an eighty I think it's like an eighties movie where this this and, and I might be misremembering it because I've only seen it like one time and probably when I was a little kid. But this smaller kid if I remember correctly, pays like another kid, like a big kid, to be his bodyguard in school because he gets picked on so much. Oh, that's kind of so smart. like basically pays the bully to not be the bully to like pick on the other bullies for him. Yeah. And um so it's like in my brain, like I have that bodyguard that's like there that has, will kind of chime in every once in a while to be like, hey, don't pick on Blake. Okay, that's good. No, that's actually really healthy because without that that higher consciousness, your, your neuropathways are very set to say, I'm a fucking idiot. And one of our challenges in our relationship is that that inner dialogue of yours has not been so inner in some of the more frustrating collapsing years of our relationship, especially in our marriage. And it pained me. I was, I was in deep pain every time I would hear you punish yourself. Like I felt punished hearing you punish yourself. And are you saying that you're into that kind of thing? No, I'm very much not. A little punishment here. No, I don't like, I know what you're going with. No, Um, no, it was very difficult for me. Remember, I'm empathic, so I can feel what you're feeling. And when you punish yourself, I feel it. And you didn't just like slap yourself on the wrist, dude. You like, you used emotional words that would give yourself a black eye every time. And I don't know why. And I, here's the thing. I know that that's very common especially for those with ADHD or ADD. In fact, um, the statistic that continues, I would like to see this updated, but the statistic that's out there is that by the age of 12, you have given yourself or and or received 20,000 negative um, dialogue thoughts. And so when you think about how much concrete is built around that neuro highway in your brain that you have to be absolutely perfect or you are a fucking idiot right yeah then no you don't have room for mistakes and you have to be perfect but how logical is that i mean if you're going to do something new for the first time is anybody going to be perfect yeah some people i feel like that's the perception is that some people are but nobody is no i know but it doesn't always appear that way no, because you don't ever see, no one ever shows you the struggle. They don't I show don't, you it's the... It's just like, like on Thanksgiving, I remember my aunt. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but she got pissed off and like threw a bunch of stuff around the kitchen this mm-hmm. one time and was just like, this is bullshit. And then I was like, man, we should put this on Facebook. 
and just be like, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And then hear my aunt in the background being like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because people post the pictures of happiness. Right. It kinda, it's almost contrived. Like, And remember, everyone, you don't get happiness without a penis. <laughs> okay. Even though the spelling's a little different. A little bit. Well, and you're right about that because we don't show the truth behind the process of how we get to somewhere. So there is this, if you're looking at something literally and logically, and all you see is this end product, then you believe that you go from idea to perfect end product. And that's the same thing we were talking about with your job search is that you go from this isn't working to where's my brand new job that I can start tomorrow. And you and the process isn't based in the outcome. The process is based in the effort and the momentum that goes in to to getting out of where is you are. Is that your way of saying it's not the, what? what's that phrase? It's like, it's it's the journey, not the destination. It is, but I, but I find the that phrase to be very irritating. It's the journey, not the destination, because then the, the concept of like how you define the journey is so broad that it just ends up feeling intangible and invisible and elusive and i have a literal i and i enjoy concepts sure but when i'm literally trying to create a pathway for myself out of a place that i don't like that phrase is just irritating it's not helpful okay so what i've learned is more helpful is to put tangible um thoughts and feelings towards my goals and so my effort is tangible for me the time and space I spend thinking about something and doing it that's tangible I can I can wrap my head around that I can carve out time on my calendar to work on that I can specifically you know and intentionally put time and effort into it which is what I was talking about with the time and space you created to send out resumes and to go on interviews and that those two pieces alone were building your momentum that was the effort and momentum that you needed to keep yourself in a headspace where you were open to finding a new job the outcome of it is dependent on too many other variables you can't control but you can control your mindset you can control your emotional optimism that you know you're going to find something and you know that it's going to work and then the the carving out the time and space because you could have easily been playing video games during the time that you spent sending out resumes and you didn't, you chose to protect that time and space by sending out resumes. And that's what resulted in the outcome that you have now. So the same is true for emotional things. Like we've been in places in our relationship that I absolutely wanted out of. And I was saying, this isn't working. This isn't working. And I had to do similar things to say, I don't like what we have now. This isn't working. How do I get us out of this or at least myself out of this so that we can get to a place that's less chaotic and start to piece things back together. Because the momentum of where we were was disruptive. It was angry. It was blame filled. It was not healthy. Neither one of us was thriving. We had an 18 month old, you know, that's not a healthy environment for his brain to, to grow in. So when you have that much momentum towards something you don't want, you can't just pump the brakes and stop it. Like momentum doesn't, it's no different than physics, right? Cars don't slow down on a, on a dime. They skid into a wall. And that's true for emotional patterns as well. So when you're talking about changing your dialogue instead of saying, you fucking idiot, 
to what do you say now if you make a mistake? Same thing. But then a little voice pops in and says, don't say that. And what do you hear me say when, when Declan or I make a mistake? You call us idiots too. Oh, tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> You're like understanding and you you try to, you know, say, hey, you know, sometimes we make mistakes and we learn from them and stuff like that. The number one change I made in my inner dialogue when things were chaotic and falling apart to now when I'm healing and feeling better is I changed my response to say, it's okay. Two words. It's all I did. It's okay. Blake blew up again. It's okay. There's this or whatever happened. It's okay. You know what I learned? And I give my mom credit. Two words. Hmm. Yes, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Seven years too late, I wish. That. But no, you did learn it's it. It's too late? No, it's not too late. Okay. Um, those are two good words as well. I mean, those are words that allow room. It's okay is what I learned to say about everything. It's okay. There's pee on the floor. It's okay. There's, you know... That's that's from the kid, not from me, by the way, the pee on the floor. <laughs> it's maybe once been me and that's it. Fair point. I don't think it's ever been you, but um but it just it just changed <coughs> because I got to a place where I was starting to feel really critical of the fact that you were critical and we weren't getting anywhere. And while I didn't agree with your behavior, I also recognized that your behavior was not necessarily so much of a choice as it was a cry for help. So starting to realize that behavior is not always, first of all, there's a massive misunderstanding about behavior and there's, there's a core belief that behavior is a choice. And some behavior is a choice and some behavior is manipulative and some behavior is um, corruptive. But that does not imply that 100% of behavior is. There's a lot of behavior that is nonverbal, that is um, based on capacity. Right. That makes sense. So when we talked earlier about the core beliefs that are important when you're managing relationships, I learned to look at capacity as you had those two things, right? Is she cute or and is she close to me? Yes. So I learned to look at the daily struggles of is there capacity here and um, how do we talk about it? The communication element of it. Oh, the two C's. Yeah. Cute and close or what was the other word you used? Capacity and communication. Capacity and communication. See? I like it. The two C's. The two C's. I'd rather it was double D's, but that's Okay. <laughs> Yes, you would. It would be dialogue and something else. Um, I don't know. Dialogue and I'd say definition, but that doesn't make... Definition and capacity are two different things. And capacity is, is an interesting term, right? Because it's fluid. Capacity is not fixed. You may have less capacity under certain medications, or I may have less capacity if I'm short on sleep. Or without coffee. Let's not forget that. Oh, You're see, addicted. There's the third C. Coffee. Capacity, communication, the three C's. and coffee. <laughs> now we're getting kinky. Yeah. 
Well, what are the things that um, influence your capacity, like to shrink it or expand it? What have you noticed? I don't know. Do you know what I mean by capacity? Yes. Like your tolerance. It's also known as like frustration tolerance or your um, communication tolerance or sound tolerance, your sensory tolerance. I think a big part of it is just the medication and therapy. In terms of helping you understand what's going on or changing what you're feeling? Well, certain things, you know, like when like noise, like loud noises still bother me, but I don't feel like I'm as much like what the fuck was that and explosive about it? I'm more yeah. just like, I'm more just like, what was that? That was like super loud. Well, so I've noticed <clears throat> we've been spending more time together as we're working through this stage of Declan's development, right? Yes. Stop coughing into the microphone. I'm trying to clear my throat. One of the things I've noticed is that you, when you, when you focus in on something, you have this ability to tune out all the excess noise around you like all the environmental noise there are times where you really can tune it all out and Declan and I can be absolutely struggling with something and almost not screaming at each other but like getting really heated trying to solve a problem and you're six steps away and oblivious to all the noise we're making and the cries for help that we're you know screaming because you're you have the ability to tune out the perimeter noise. And then when something really loud supersedes that, then you kind of like come back and go, Oh, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. So I know we talk about sound. I don't get to pick when that happens, by the way. It just happens. Well, that was gonna be my question. Like what dictates when you're sound sensitive to loud noises versus when you can completely tune them out? I guess it just depends on how focused I am on whatever I'm doing. Do you think that's a learned skill? Like, have you learned? Do you feel like you've had to learn? Again, I think part of it's the medication that's helping me. Because before it was like every, you know, like the TV was a little bit too loud before. Yeah. Now it's like I'm able to kind of ignore it. It was just loud enough to where all I could hear was the TV. And I could hear you at the same time. But the TV is so like obtrusive mm-hmm. that I... St- like I can hear like it's it's an and it's annoying right so the annoying like grading part of it you know like the guys this show is really kind of annoying and so like the voice of this guy being like saying the same thing over and over like especially like repetitive words yeah you know for a kid's show it's like it it pulls me out of my present brain where i'm trying to like listen to you and then i'm like well i guess i'm listening to this now Mm. and that happens to me oftentimes if i'm trying to listen to like if we're trying to watch tv and either you or declan are talking i have tuned myself to your voices more so than anything else so if you guys are talking to me i can't listen to anything else yeah okay so i understand that but then let's go back to something you said earlier because you asked me what i like about our relationship you didn't say anything nice about me. Let's hear some nice things about Blake. <laughs> no, that's a fair point. What do I like about our relationship now? Yes. I like <clears throat> I like a lot of things. Um, what I like about our relationship now is that you have con- you have you have more control over noticing when I am stressed out. And 
instead of contributing to my chaotic feelings, you have, you, you notice it's like before, if I was all stressed out, you used to get upset with me. Like I wasn't allowed to be sick. I wasn't allowed to be mad. I wasn't allowed to be tired. Cause if I was any of those things, um, then you interpreted that as that I was mad at you. And so then you'd get inflamed going like, well, what's wrong with you? Are you mad at me? And so then it would just snowball into a bigger event. But now when you notice that I'm starting to unravel for any given reason, you don't automatically assume it has something to do with you and you make a joke. And that allows me to stop and make a joke and laugh at your joke. And it pulls me out of my stress. And it gives me that feeling that it's okay for me to get upset. It's okay for me to be stressed out. It's okay for me to feel disorganized, which are not feelings I deal with very well. And I like, I mean, I, I find myself almost relying on you to help me through those moments. And that strengthens our relationship because for a long time, it just drove us apart. And so now it's like, I'm, I feel safe being around you more because I don't have to hide how much I struggle. I can just struggle and know that you can help me through it. Okay. That's huge. I mean, the amount of people that actually stop and help me in my life have been very few. I've always been the rock for other people. No one's, very few people have ever been my rock. Very few people um, have ever let me just kind of work it out, you know, and not be all put together. So I love that about you. Call me Rock the Blake Fertig. <laughs> I also appreciate that you're back in a place where you can look at a chaotic moment and find the humor in it. It's true. Because the chaotic moment is probably like too much to handle. So then I always use humor as a defense mechanism. But it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and pulling me out of the, why is this falling apart or what is happening? You know, the the uncertainty and the confusion of where I'm at and my brain's inability to recall whatever it is I need it to recall the combination of that just gets flustering and when you stop and make a joke and I stop and hear it and then listen and laugh you're helping me pull myself out of fight or flight and that's probably the part of our relationship we've been doing so much better is that we can help to pull each other out of fight or flight instead of continuing to throw each other further into it yeah okay I, I love that about you and I also appreciate that I that when I ask for help you help me like you may not intuitively see all the same things that I see that need to be done and that's okay because I just have tuned myself to different parts of the house but if I ask you for help you help me and in the past we would fight over help because we had different ideas of who was supposed to do things and we don't have those definitions anymore we've just said you know let's help each other so we put a core belief of hey we're going to help each other and then how that works out is really flexible we don't have rules around that anymore it's more about it's okay you need help it's okay this thing went wrong it's okay yes it's I, okay i'm also appreciative of the fact that you're sleeping more I think, I know this medication change has been really tough for you, but you went years without sleeping. I mean, you basically had pseudo insomnia. There were days, there were times you had actual insomnia. Like you've, you have had too many stretches of non-sleep 
years and our brains can't process our brains can't sort through we can't organize we don't store our data well we don't um but there's just too many things that our brains rely on sleep for and when you go periods and periods without sleep those functions start to back up and they spill into the day and even though you don't like that you're sleeping 10 12 hours in a night I know that you're sleeping and healing and so I appreciate that you're allowing yourself to sleep in the past when your body needed something I think you fought it a lot because it wasn't what you wanted yeah well I feel like now I'm just tired so I'm like well because I wasn't feeling tired before no before you had like energizer bunny energy and it was almost chaotic like you couldn't it was so impulsive and erratic that you almost couldn't control it unless you let it control you Right. You had to yeah. you had to do all those impulses. And if you didn't get 40 different impulses met in a day, you were pissed off. Yeah, it's true. It, it just I, I guess it just again, I don't think it, it hits me the same way anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that's evident of obviously the medication change, but also that you're healing and you're allowing things to take a more natural course. And and I think also that you're starting to realize that you may not always know what that natural course is. Your brain, your mind may not also may not always know exactly what it needs. There's other parts of your body and your neurochemistry and your, you know, there's other parts of us in our being that knows what you need. It may not always be our mind. Our mind is usually the last one to catch up. But sometimes when we let our mind rule everything, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble because we're basically like driving the car with a blindfold, you know, we're like looking in reverse. It's it's counterintuitive. So following following your gut feelings is something that I'm watching you do more and more. And I appreciate it because those are the types of skills you need in relationships. And those are the types of skills that I see you teaching our son now that before you didn't. And it's improving the quality of his life, your life and mine. You're welcome. No, it's a big deal. Thank you. Yeah. I like all those things about our relationship now. Okay. I think Sweet. one of the bigger things that's happening um, outside of all that. So we've talked about capacity, right? Because your capacity can change. Right. But it's also communication. So we used to do a really crappy job of asking for help. <coughs> yeah. I mean, I think, are you saying that I ask for help now? Or I think you ask for help more too. I definitely did a crappy job of asking for help in the in the past. Um, but you do a better job of allowing me to ask for help too. But there are still times when I hear you go, can you help me? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh shit, I'm needed. Yeah, because I didn't, I got myself overwhelmed in a because moment. Because you'll get into something with Declan and I'm not really like, always sure if I need to jump in and do anything because he doesn't necessarily always want me to be around. So like I'll hear something and I'm like, Oh, I better get in there and then, you know, and help, you know, like in the morning or whatever it is, like trying to help move the routine along. And he's like, no, I don't want your help. I always need your help. <laughs> I just feel no, like he's saying he doesn't want my help. I know. And it doesn't make it easy because he's... So that's one of the reasons too, that I'll sign up sort of like, you know, in recent 
days or weeks or whatever that like if I hear you two like squabbling with one another. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'm not necessarily like focused on what you're really saying. I just hear you. I'm like, you know, I don't th- I think subconsciously I'm just like, well, what's what what am I going to do? Right. And he is. Until I hear you go, Blake, can you help me? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, sure. Because I make the assumption. So, you know, I. Are you I, paying attention? And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, because it goes back to that conversation we were having earlier about, you know, distractions and whether or not you're listening in the background. So I just assume that if we're squabbling, you're listening. Because if you two squabble, I listen. And that's my mistake sometimes is just assuming that what I'm doing is similar to what you're doing. Or we have similar processes and we don't. So communicating, you know, and I just asked the question. I know I asked the question with an irritated voice because at that point I am out of capacity. And it's all I can do to ask you, are you listening? Can you help me? Like my voice, what you're hearing in my voice is panic and overwhelm. Oh, see, to me, I just hear someone who's annoyed with me. No, I, I have no feelings about you. You're I'm I'm like, I need a life raft. I am in over my head i'm i'm shutting down i'm he's continuing to to you know deflect and dismiss me and and he has this amazing ability to like become a whole herd of cats all at once and and then he won't do anything like he can he has the explain that herd of cats (laughs) he's a herd of cats so when he is that a southern thing i don't know it's a me thing okay um when he is in agreement with what we're doing with, with the routine. He'll execute. Yes, I'll do this. I'll go pick up my shoes. I'll go pick up my socks. I'll put myself together. When he is in disagreement, he has this ability to like scatter the focus across 13 different things all at once. And you cannot get him refocused. And so he becomes an entire herd of cats, which is just the, to say that he'll, he'll now focus on this random thing and that random thing and he'll move from random thing to random thing so quickly that you can't possibly pull him out of his routine and he's doing it so that you don't win and get him to do what I want him to do. Right. So it's just a massive deflection tactic to avoid whatever it is we want him to do. So I'm just assuming you're going to help me because you're noticing it, but once I realize that you're not paying attention, which is fine, that's the most coherent way I can ask for help in the moment when I'm drowning. Okay. Well, good to know. Because I just thought you were cranky with me too. I'm never, no, I'm, I'm, that's an interesting assumption that it has something to do with you. So that goes back to what we were talking about before, about how it used to have something to do with you. Um, but it doesn't always mean that it does have something to do with you. It's usually more about my process. Amen. I think one of the things we're doing better in our relationship is not just asking for help, but also explaining ourselves afterwards, like when the moment calms down, because the it's so common to make assumptions that we know why the other person is behaving a certain way. And I really appreciate how many times when you and I are in, you know, stressful conversations and I inadvertently make an assumption about why you're responding a certain way you've been able to come back recently and say, you know, I didn't, um, I wasn't biting your head off here. I was responding because of this, this, and that. And being able to hear your rationale or what you were experiencing in that moment helps me understand what I was misunderstanding about the moment. And 
it helps me create more space um in the stress you know so I'm not I'm not over, I'm not reacting it's more like oh okay I didn't you're right I did make a mistake I did make an assumption thank you for telling me like you didn't used to tell me those things in the past well I'm I've I've grown so much you have I mean being able to explain ourselves is I guess it may not feel like a skill but I think it goes back to how undervalued emotional health is and emotional health is actually um one of those things that requires the ability to stop and know how you're feeling and then to be able to communicate like you can't resolve a feeling unless you can name it right yeah i guess so so it's a skill to be able to learn to stop and pause and notice how you're feeling and then go okay well how am I feeling well actually how I feel is this and then you give it a name and then being able to communicate that well I was feeling this specifically helps to clear up a lot of miscommunication and confusion yeah we've been able to do that a lot better with each other I mean it's something we're teaching Declan to do so in the process of teaching Declan we're also working on it ourselves we yeah, having a child definitely makes you, like, requires you to take pause and think about what you're doing and what you're saying and why you're doing and saying what you're doing because of how you're feeling. Exactly. <sighs> That's exactly it. And how often are Thanks, you... Thanks, Declan. Thank you for your help, buddy. <laughs> how often are you actually coming to to identify a feeling? Or are you more at the point where you're identifying the rationale behind it. Maybe I'm identifying the rationale behind it. But it leads you to, and that's fine, that process leads you to clarify the feeling. Yeah, I think you're right. So that seems like a pretty winning formula. I agree. Yeah. So when you talk about managing relationships, communication, capacity, and even just rational being able to communicate your rationale for your responses is empowering for both you and the other person. And isn't that the whole core of a relationship is connection? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. It's a connection based on trust based on, um, I mean, trust is a big part of it, but comfort i agree you know because you want to be comfortable with someone and comfortable enough you know how how much like you're talking about capacity how much capacity do i have to be myself around this person and i think the more capacity you have to be yourself around someone the more comfortable you are and the closer you are to that person and then if that person feels that if those feelings are reciprocated on the other side then that person feels close to you and then that then again just builds on the closeness of the relationship I agree. It's perfect. So I think that's one of the reasons that I only have a few close friends because it's hard for me to get to the point where I do feel comfortable because I have challenges. And do you find that you're more forgiving in your mistakes with your close friends versus like 
when you are with someone and you're developing a relationship, do you find you put yourself on that narrow edge again where you're like, you fucking idiot, you know, where you have to, where your self-talk is more negative? Probably because I think when you're, you, you know, um, I never understand, and I think I've mentioned this before, but my mom had this magnet on the refrigerator growing, like when I was growing up and I never understood it as a kid. And my mom's like, you will when you're older. And I do now. Um, and the magnet essentially just said, a true friend knows who you are, but likes you anyway. Yeah. And I was like, well, why wouldn't they like me? You know, as a kid and then I'm an, and as an adult. So going back to what you said, it is true. Like a true friend knows who you are, but likes you anyway. They under, you know, so if you do make a mistake, they're more just like, oh, that's just like making a mistake. No big deal. As opposed to some new person, like you have to kind of be more on your toes and, you know, you have to. You can't really, I mean, I'm for me, you can't really go into a new relationship and just be yourself. Yeah, because you don't know which parts of you are going to be have the to, connection points. Right, yet. so you have to work out how much of yourself you can be. And I think that's why so many relationships fail because you might, um, and I mean relationships like romantic relationships, like you get into a relationship with someone and you make these concessions. Mm-hmm. And, and then over time, those things that you were trying to maybe like, hide about yourself or things about the other person that you were trying to overlook become they come to a head and you're unable to get past it and then the relationship ends my dad um was always a hiring manager in his profession and he would uh, when i started to become a hiring manager he would tell me rochelle in every single interview with someone I eventually fired, I can look back and find a red flag in the interview where my gut said, this is a conflict. This isn't going to fit. We don't fit together. But I liked other parts of them. And I just hoped that that red flag would either be minimal or could change, you know, and then it wasn't going to become a core differential issue, he says. But every single time it became the reason I fired them. And I think that... wow. Uh, that has stuck with me also like your mom's magnet because his experience was extensive in this area and the relationship education that that I got to witness you know at his career expense (laughs) was pretty significant and so when we are looking for people to match ourselves with the more we can look for emotional congruence right um over the outcome like what am I trying to say so when when you're finding someone and you're in a relationship with them because you think your outcomes align that usually is going to lend to problems because your processes are going to be so different and how you get there is going to have a fair amount of inflexibility so if you can pair yourselves more on the internal pieces the process your feelings the forgiveness the communication styles you know, your collaboration style more than the outcome. Like, do, do they have the house I want? Do they have the car I want? Do they have to make the kind of money I want them to make? Those types of parameters are almost recipes for failing relationships because... Those things can go away. Exactly. They're so, they're so temporary and they're not based on the core of, a, of a, an attraction. Right. Well, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Agreed. Because we were just... Um, that's right. I'm going to out myself again, but because <laughs> I watched because I watched The Bachelor in Paradise. We yeah. And uh one of the women was like into this dude, but basically was like he's attractive and like we get along great and like basically mentioning all like a lot of things that 
um, are important to the core of a, a successful relationship, but because he didn't have the job she liked and, you know, didn't make the kind of money she wanted, she was basically the, you know, when she ended up leaving the show, she was like, why can't I just find a man with a big dick and an even bigger bank account? Yeah, it's so surface. But actually, when we talk about managing relationships, one of the things that has always united us, and I actually do recommend this as a strategy for relationships of any stage and um, quality, is that you find some sort of reality TV show that you like. There's so many out there. They're based in every type of premise, whether it's competition or whether it's, you know, um, you know, like reality TV houses or surviving an island. It doesn't really matter. But you and I learn a lot about relationships for ourselves by watching other people play out relationships. And I think for you with autism, you're always kind of questioning the motive behind someone, you know, kind of, yeah, true. Did I, did I understand why she did this? Like, why is she doing this? Like this? Why, why is he doing that? Or, or I'll say something like, Oh, I saw that coming. And you're like, how, how'd you see that coming? And I explained, or you'll see something coming and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Because when you get the chance to see so many relationships from a distance, right, which is afforded on reality TV, you get a chance to see how people present themselves on the outside in the actual relationship interactions. So you can see kind of the things that are working and the things that aren't working. And then you hear them in the interview process, explain their inner process and you go, oh my gosh, you can start to see these disconnects. And because there's so much fear that you're going to miss social cues with autism, it's helpful to study human behavior via reality TV because uh, you see people in their most egotistical, right? Because everyone wants to look good on TV. Yeah. And being able to see... But not everyone, though. Some people, I think, want to look good on TV and they really don't realize how bad they do look. Amen. And how much better can you see that happening in real life because you've studied human behavior through this safe distance lens of TV? I mean, you can see people's egos now. You didn't used to be able to identify when it was about them. You used to internalize everything as being a an indication that that you weren't good enough or that they were rejecting you. And now you look at someone and you'd be like, man, they've got an ego problem because you now know it's about them. Right. That's a skill you've learned. I'm so skilled. (laughs) No, I applaud you for it because um, you also have the ability to be, because you're a logical and a literal thinker, when you have, the opportunity to continue to evaluate situations from a distance and study them almost. And human behavior is very well studied, but it changes so frequently that it's hard to keep up with. So the more often you're watching everyday human behavior kind of play out in different formats, you're able to increase your awareness and be able to make more fundamental decisions about other people's behavior when it's you and another person. You're not taking it so personal. Right. That's a big deal. Yeah. It's try I try not to take it personally. It's sometimes it's hard not to, but you know. It is sometimes and if not most of the time about the other person. It is. Yeah, it is mostly about the other person. And that's why we go the other person is the outcome, right? So the only thing we can control is how we think and feel in ourselves. And so our inner dialogue really, really, really matters. And if you find yourself 
punishing yourself, then if you're doing that inside of a relationship, you're inadvertently punishing the entire relationship. So you need to know that right away. So self-punishment isn't is going to deteriorate your relationship. The more you're punishing yourself, the more you're driving a wedge between you and the other person also. And you're almost saying to the other person, I'm punishing myself, so I need you to punish me. How many relationships work like that that are healthy? Probably not very many. No. So if you recognize that you have a self-punishment inner dialogue, I would say the very first place in managing a relationship is to start managing the relationship with yourself and noticing when you're punishing yourself and noticing how you feel and start slowly replacing that self-punishment because you're not going to just stop it one day. You've got too much momentum built in the neurology. You've got actual neural networks built in the way you think and feel that's going to keep that pattern going. But you can change it over time. You have to replace it. So you notice yourself punishing yourself. You notice how it feels, that constricted, icky feeling. And you go, wait a minute, it's okay. Or like you would say to yourself, you would come in with another higher inner dialogue and say something really intelligent. I can't remember what you'd say. What? You'd say. what? Like, oh, don't do that. Like, you'd stop yourself from punishing. Oh, yeah. I would just say, like, you're saying, like, if I was to be like, damn it, you idiot. Right. Well, oh, and then the other part of me, it doesn't always do it, but a lot of the times I'm just like, like, be nice to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's what I'm saying. So you're in the process of changing your momentum right now, and I encourage you to keep going because... There's a lot of us in here going through this in my brain <laughs> it's a whole party <coughs> um i think it's time to wrap it up i agree any any last words the most effective way to manage your relationships with other people is to manage your relationship with yourself that's right that's what we have found is the better we are as individuals you gotta love yourself first you do you do and sometimes it means saying it's okay it's okay. 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 Are we ready for News Minute? Oh, I am. What do you have for us? You probably have a bunch of things. Well, I only have a few, but some of them are like way late. But Subway was in the news at some point. <laughs> I was going to say this week, but not really. In September, they launched a grab-and-go vending machine at the University of California, San Diego, and apparently it was a huge hit. The company is planning to launch more at other high-traffic areas like college campuses, airports, and hospitals. So it's literally a vending machine with pre-made sub Subway sandwiches. So someone, like, two people are behind the vending machine just making sandwiches and filling yeah. it up? Yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. <laughs> um, no, they, uh, from what I remember from the article, basically, they refill the the sandwiches like, daily, daily with, yeah. fresh, with fresh sandwiches. That's very interesting. And okay. so they're doing it in, you know, obviously different areas to try and make the grab and go. I think, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Subway. Yeah, I don't like mind Like their them. sandwiches are all right. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it seems like a good option, especially, you know, things like airports, hospitals, college campuses. If, if those, those are, you know, high traffic places that, yeah. I mean, when I was in college, I, I would have, a lot of the times I would hit the vending machines and grab chips and cookies because I was starving sure. and needed breakfast. If I could have gotten myself a sandwich, I would have definitely preferred that. But I'm sure the pricing is going to be more. I'm also concerned about the preservatives that they're going to use in order to... I mean, I know they're going to re replenish daily, but... Well, didn't you say that Subway... Sorry for interrupting, but didn't you say that Subway 
in some country or someone said this that like it's outlawed because the bread isn't technically bread well and the deli meat has so many preservatives in it that um it's a problem and that is true there are food is very heavy heavily regulated in many areas because of the the chemicals and preservatives and quite frankly we would be amiss to not reference that here because remiss Remiss? Remiss. We'd be Thank remiss. You. Remiss? I knew that you knew that I was going. <laughs> I was like, that didn't sound right. Um, as a neurodivergent, you need to know that your biological chemistry is more sensitive. So things like food preservatives, you are more sensitive to. It will have a bigger impact on re- wrecking your digestive system. It You're not going to detox the chemicals as fast. Like you could find yourself... If you're eating a lot of processed foods, you could find yourself irritable and moody faster because your body's not eliminating its toxins as, as quickly. I mean, and that's just because you're living in more fight or flight than than others. So the quality of your food is important. And if you decide that, you know, eating a sandwich with those preservatives is the higher quality option of what you have over chips and cookies, and I agree that it is, just remember that anything that's in a prepackaged form is going to have those same chemicals that you're sensitive to that or it just has a really short shelf life maybe they're expecting it to have a short shelf life and for people to go and grab it and eat it but they're even their stores their restaurants have their oh i know so i'm just you know just something to bring up because we when you start having more sleep disturbances and you just watch your body watch your body for the results of oh i'm watching it because <laughs> that's where you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it in your sleep quality or your or your mood and, and your tolerance levels and your digestive system and things like that. Like when your body is, is processing things on the inside that's, again, invisible and intangible, you'll, you'll feel it. So. Okay. Moving on. Um, there's currently an Adderall shortage. Is there really? Yeah. So I didn't really... Um, I read the article and then I just wrote Adderall shortage. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so they're saying that some people are having to wait like weeks and weeks and talking about the impact and how it is a very serious concern because, you know, this can impact people's sleep. It can impact people's ability to function at work Yeah, and for people to be able to just kind of uh, be motivated to get through their daily lives. That's a tough and, thing. And uh, so some people are um, in the talks of changing medications, um, which I don't take Adderall, right. but I have tried i think adderall before right um and it just didn't work for me but a lot of people do take it and so i mean my thought when i heard this was like maybe now's a good time to talk to your medical professionals your psychiatrist your psychologist well a psychiatrist i guess would be the person regulating medication and you know maybe talk about what alternatives there are but then that in and of itself can be uh you know stressful but but I'm just saying, like, because of the timing of this right. shortage, um, it, it can be difficult for people to find their medication. So it might be good to find an alternative, even if you just find an alternative and you're like, well, during this time, I can use this. This will work for me. It's at least a Band-Aid. One of the products that um, we have found in our family to be helpful that's non-prescription for ADHD, at least, is... Um, it's called attention support and it is formulated by Dr. Amen, who is a psychiatrist and they use his clinics use not, I don't know. I'm not saying unilaterally and I'm not speaking on their behalf, but um, what, what our family doctor, what our family Amen clinic doctor told us is that um, 
the attention support is utilized for many of those with ADHD or ADD needs that's a non-stimulant. So uh, it may not work for you. It may not be what you're looking for, but I just want to bring it up and raise awareness. So it's something you can go evaluate and talk to your doctor about and see if it will work for you. It's really helping my family member um, to function at a higher level without the need for that prescription stimulant. So, Okay. Um, All right. Last bit of news minute is the uh, University of Idaho killings. You heard oh, about this? I did. Yes. Four people were killed. Um, they were stabbed or. I don't understand any part of the story. And they haven't, um, as far as, as of this writing, I haven't read the news in the last couple of days, but as of the last time I read something, which was last, like earlier this week was um, that they still had not found a suspect. Correct. That's what I understand. And there's no motive. They cannot determine a motive. They can't find a suspect. So because it was the week of Thanksgiving, a lot of students from the University of Idaho were going home early mm-hmm. to, you know, because at first the police had said there was, um, they think it was a targeted uh, offense and that these people were specifically targeted and it wasn't random. And so they were like, there's no need to worry. The police initially said there's no need to worry as far as like in the community like right. we're, you know we're gonna you know like we'll find this person and then as more information came out about the killings the police retracted that statement and said that um that people needed to be on high alert that's uh i heard this case referred to as like a ted bundy case well ted bundy didn't kill four people at once maybe i'm thinking of the wrong guy Ted Bundy was, I mean, Ted Bundy was the one that would, he was quote unquote an attractive male and women felt comfortable with him, but he was killing young women, not killing four people at once. This was three women and a a male student. Correct. That were all in their house and they had two other roommates that were there that were not harmed. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. There were two other people in the, in the house or the apartment or whatever it was, um, that, uh, we're not we're not harmed and i'm like how did they like there's still more information you know coming out about this i hadn't heard that i just my heart goes out to there's been a lot of um shootings there's been a lot of just death in general in the last couple of weeks even natural disasters there's earthquake i think it was in indonesia or something that's killed 250 almost 300 people or something there's there's just there's just a lot happening at the moment um it just seems like an uptick in it's also it's, it's also how these things are being reported because catastrophes take place all the time. It just isn't necessarily always. It just feels like we get access to information so quickly now that we hear about everything. Right, that's true. But it does feel like there is an uptick. But you know, like I've mentioned before, and back in the day, you would have you would you don't really hear about serial killers anymore. Right. Like you did in the like seventies and the eighties, and right. then, you know. And and then it it went from hearing about serial killers to hearing about these these mass shootings. That's been the trend for a long time now. These mass shootings, yeah. especially in the states. I mean, we have not managed to bring those to a close the way other countries have done more successfully than us. Quite frankly, yeah, that's true. Ours are hi- uh, our shootings are still highly politicized, and so there's just you know. It just, again, it's it's keeping people in fight or flight. And at the same time, it makes these challenges feel bigger and more unresolvable. I'm just, my I, I'm devastated for the families. I'm devastated for the people we've lost. 
I agree. I think that, uh, you know, hopefully they find this, this person. Yeah. And uh, at least that can give some kind of closure to the community and to the families of those who were lost. Oh, my gosh. Um, having said that, pop minute. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, this was uh, like last, last week. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis was in the news. He died. I didn't know that. At age 87. Wow. You know who Jerry Lee Lewis was, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Great balls of fire. Yeah. Speaking of fire. Yeah. Jay Leno was in the news in the last week. Was he? He was working on one of his cars in his garage and received severe burns. Oh, no. After some kind of gasoline fire burned his face, chest, and hands. Oh, no. Uh, he was in... Uh, yeah, so he was at home and working on one of his cars and there was an explosion, I guess, or some kind of fire. And yeah, they, they but they posted a, a photo. He's been in the hospital being treated for his his his, his burns. Um, but they're saying he's expected to make a full recovery. But they showed a picture of him with like the, the nurses. Uh-huh. And, you know, he, I mean, he definitely, you could see like the burns on his, on his, on his mm-hmm. arms and his, on his neck and stuff like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of Jay Leno, but I mean, you you hate to hear about anybody getting burned or, you know, hurt in any way, really. Right. Especially so, at home. Well, I mean, I think anywhere it sucks, but uh, that's all I have. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to end on that note <laughs> for Pop Minute. Well, if, can I can I just add one more? So, oh, um, yeah. Is there a good Pop Minute? A Pop Minute. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, you want to talk about the Ticketmaster prices for Taylor Swift? Uh, nope. Because okay. I don't plan to go, but I but I do want to talk about. She did have a new album. She has so many new albums all the time. But she, her new album, Midnight's, came out, and I initially judged it as because I was trying to listen to it while I was studying, and I couldn't get into the vibe of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this music. And when so then I tried to read an article about it to have someone you know kind of break it down for me. And the article was written by a hater, and they were like, oh, it's her worst lyrically, and it's not a good album, and blah blah blah. And for a minute, for like. 48 hours, I actually believed it. And then I thought, wait a minute, those aren't my opinions. So I put myself in a neutral frame of mind. And then I listened to the album again. And I was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. So I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. That's not news. But <clears throat> I have really grown to love this new album. And there's some really good songs on there. And Anti-Hero, anti-hero for one, is one I think that um, our, our group might actually relate to because it she writes it about herself and her own anxiety and her own depression in a really brilliant way and uh, it's actually a very strong album lyrically but something I just wanted to say I was really glad I gave a second listen to and formed my own opinions about because <laughs> yeah second listen to I think you're going to be listening to that thing all the time like you did the last album the last two albums yeah I mean, I, d- I identify with music. Music helps me turn my emotions around into a place where I feel really good about things. So, you know, we talk about how well we feel and music for me helps me do that. So Pop Minute would be Taylor released a new album called Midnight's and it's actually really uplifting. Well, I'm going to end it on one more thing then. Okay. Because Eminem made it, made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No way. Yeah. I didn't hear that either. Yeah, earlier this month. It would well, have been um, on the 5th, I think. Congratulations, November. Marshall Mathers. Yeah. So he, one of the things that was really cool about his acceptance, I guess it's an acceptance speech, is that he listed off like all these different rappers uh-huh. that were influential to him. Uh-huh. And it was, really, it was just really cool that, you know, he wasn't just like yeah i'm great like he was just like 
the reason that I am who I am today is because of all these different people. That's amazing. And he, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly how many he, he listed off, but it was a, like a significant chunk of like what he ended up saying was naming all these different groups, which was funny because one of the groups he mentioned was Two Live Crew. Oh, wow. You know who Two Live yeah. Crew is, right? Sure. And, uh, you know, he mentioned several, several, several different uh, rappers and hip hop and influential hip hop artists. But the reason that Two Live Crew sticks out in my head is because they're like super raunchy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they have some some really entertaining songs. My sister actually, um, when I was living with her when I was a teenager, had bought one of their records. And so I ended up going out and buying it afterward. Yeah. And listening to it incessantly just because the music is like super catchy. Um, and it's, but you know, and when you're 16 or 17 years old, it's like really dirty. So then you feel like you're kind of getting away with something yeah. when you're driving around in your car, listening point. to it. It's funny. Cause I had my little crappy car and I, I didn't even have a CD player. I had like my Walkman CD player uh-huh. with the tape cassette attachment. Yeah. And so I would have to hold the CD player on my lap or in my <laughs> hand because the vibration of my car. Sure. Was this the, the bug? Skip. It was my bug. And then also my brother gave me his Mitsubishi, um, and so either either car um actually That's maybe i had a cd player by that point but yeah it old was just school man old, old school. school so all right well i appreciate that about eminem he's always been very he's, a, he's what he's, he's a hip-hop head he's, he's generous like super into the music you know yeah and he's generous with giving credit like he's always been if you see a lot of his videos he's always been really collaborative and you know for him it's a group project and it's not like he he hides his candle you know or his flame under a rug or anything he he definitely has evolved as an individual but he continues to bring people together through music you know even just in the making of so i i appreciate that about i can't always listen to everything he does because it can be super angry and just put me in an energetic space that i don't align with but i appreciate him as an artist okay all right i think that's enough out of us today we are way over time yeah but i mean i, th- I think it's okay to do a longer episode sin- considering We've been How many out we've of missed. it for a while. Yeah. That's right. So a we've, little bonus for everybody. We've recorded so many more hours in our minds <laughs> than we've been able to, to put together. So Yeah. So happy holidays to everybody. And uh, we'll be back. Um, I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I just said that, but we'll be back. Shit, I almost forgot to say cue the music. <laughs>